Amen, amen. I wonder if we can clap our hands to the Lord all over this place. Just let the praise resound in this place for a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Surely the presence of the Lord is here. Amen. And I'd like to welcome everybody in Jesus' name to our first half of service and welcome to those who are watching online, uh, joining us live or, or watching later. And whether you may be watching or listening, we love you and we thank you for joining us. I do want to encourage you here today before I get started and tell you that uh, if you're not aware that each Sunday and Wednesday, 15 minutes before service begins, we have a pre-service prayer. Uh, it begins at uh, 10.15 on Sundays and 6.45 on Wednesdays. Uh, and I invite you to join us for that. And I know that there are some who have things going on during that time, myself included. I'm often very busy on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, and while I understand that there are are conversations that need to be had before service. Uh, if you do find yourself in the sanctuary during pre-service prayer and you have, or, or you're having a conversation with someone, I would ask uh, kindly that you would take that conversation outside of the sanctuary, um, especially during pre-service prayer. Um, now, trust me, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here because there have been times where I've caught myself doing that. So while I may be talking to you, I'm talking to myself too. Amen. So, thank you for understanding. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And as you're finding that, if you can, please stand for the reading of the word. And I want to begin with verse number 13, which says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city, that, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And for our first half of the service here, I want to preach to you this thought. A little better than you found it. A little better than you found it. And as you are taking your seats, let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence, which is surely in this place. Lord, I pray that your presence rests on each person here, bringing them comfort, peace, and joy, that which also brings a greater understanding of your word. Help me, Lord, in every way to be nothing more and nothing less than a vessel for you and what you desire for your church today. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Try and leave this world a little better than you found it. Robert Baden-Powell, the founder of the scouting movement, made this statement in one of his final messages. His admonition to those there, and even echoing to today, highlights the responsibility we should feel to make everything a little better just by our being a part of it. Many want to help out the world, save the environment, rescue animals, defeat poverty, and do other selfless endeavors. And whether or not we agree with their thoughts and dreams of a better place, the fact is, is that many are looking to leave the world a little better than they found it. You see, we were born into a world of sin. Some of us came from dysfunctional families. Some of us grew up in cities filled with crime, drugs, and filth. And a part of you may feel overwhelmed and unsure 
of what you can do to make a difference. Yet still another part of you desires to make a difference and change the world. For this reason, church, we are called to be salt and light in this world. And as I walk through these aspects of salt and light, please understand this. God's idea of a better world, though much different from some of the ideas mentioned and those you may have heard otherwise, requires us as believers to let the love and purpose of Jesus Christ be made manifest through our lives. We leave this world a little, little better, uh, excuse me, we leave this world a better place when we share the gospel as agents of salt and light in the world. What you can't find is Jesus telling his disciples to be sugar to the earth. And for that matter, he did not tell them to sugarcoat anything. But we may come back to that in a little bit. I don't want to get on too much of a soapbox over there about sugarcoating the preaching. But rather, he did tell them to be what? Salt of the earth. In looking at the properties and functions of salt, it helps to really reveal our role in the earth. First, salt is a preservative. Before there, were, there was proper refrigeration, people would rub salt on meat to keep it from spoiling. Even today, there are places in the world without proper refrigeration that use salt for this very thing, preservation. Second, salt enhances flavor. How many of you love to use salt on your food? <laughs> Amen. You see, this world is bland, okay? Since the beginning of time, the same sins that have trapped human beings are still causing men and women to stumble. The same fear, the same sadness, and confusion are still ravaging hearts and minds. The world without Jesus is without hope. It is up to the born-again believer who has experienced the hope and healing promised through Jesus Christ, who has been made new to point the world to the hope only found in Jesus. Why? Because we have access to that true joy. We have access to that true peace. We have access to that everlasting life. You see, when we read of the Beatitudes, which, were, which Jesus spoke before the passage I read, while these things may not make sense to the world, saying, uh, blessed are they which are persecuted, blessed are they uh, which are, are peacemakers, or pure in heart, blessed are they that mourn, that are weak, or that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are they that are merciful. When we read of these things, while they may not make sense to the world, our experience with those blessings, especially blessed are they that mourn, that are meek, that are, that are suffering from persecution, allows us to spread that salt into the lives of others. But with this, I must remind you that salt can lose its saltiness. A brief science lesson will tell you that well, not even a science lesson, but while it is a strong compound, it can be diluted by water. Water, in this case, is worldliness. Worldliness destroys saltiness. From conforming to the patterns of the world to embracing the rotten values of the world, becoming materialistic, sensual, and pleasure-seeking, we lose our saltiness. And let me put it this way. When we lose our saltiness, and hear me, we become of no use in the kingdom of God. When we choose the world's ways over God's ways, 
we lose our effectiveness. The story of Lot and his family and sinful Sodom is a great example of how salt can lose its saltiness. After some quarrels about their limited resources, Abraham and his nephew Lot to, uh, invited his nephew Lot to choose a place to settle down while Abraham would go and find a new place to live so that they could be separated. Lot chose to dwell in what was to him a very attractive place, the plains on which the city of Sodom and Gomorrah were located. It was a prime place that was well watered, but morally was lost and wicked. Lot pitched his tent near Sodom. And just a few chapters later, we find Lot living in Sodom. Sodom would undergo attacks that would leave them in ruins. Abraham took action to rescue Lot and others and succeeded in doing so. You see, the king of Sodom even told Abraham he could keep the recovered goods from those ruins, but Abraham refused to take anything belonging to Sodom. And when I thought about that, I thought, what if Abraham did take some of those ruins? Would he be labeled or likened unto the world? And I can't help but think, but Abraham knew, well, obviously God told him, but he's like, I'm not going to have any part of that. I don't want any of that to affect me. So he left it all right there. He chose not to take with him because he knew the, the, the punishment, the fire that was coming. He told Abraham his plans, God did, when he decided to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham began to plead and bargain and plead and bargain, saying, what if there's a hundred righteous? What if there's 50? What if there's 10? But God would reply that there were not even 10 righteous people in Sodom. If there was any salt, it hadn't done much good. It was not effective. It was not spread. It was not shared. Remember what happened while they were escaping? Lot's wife looked back and she turned into what? A pillar of salt. Hmm. A grim but eye-opening reminder to those who had failed to be salt in a decaying world. Those who had lost their saltiness. And we see what happened after the escape, which is further evidence of the moral confusion in Lot's family and the loss of that salt. So the question that is raised is this. How do I know if I have lost this salt? How do I know if I have dimmed this light shining through me? And for the next few moments, some of these may be very deep, but please understand, they are, they are important to understand. It's one has stopped reading scripture. One has stopped praying. One has lived so intimately with the world that no one can tell they're a disciple. One lacks integrity and Christ-like character. One never talks about Jesus. One only thinks of their own needs. One has let the interest of others become more important than God and his kingdom. Psalm 119.105 says that his word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. If you are not reading his word, then how can it be that lamp to show you the way? How can it be that light to show you the path? Since the Lord wrote in his word that his word is above his name, then if we're not in his word, how can we know him? I've seen it happen to where someone can get so fired up about God, and hear me, 
I get fired up about them too. But then go on to say that God is saying this or God is saying that or God spoke to me this or that, but let me go ahead and put something to rest. If you receive a word and you think it's from God and you can't find it in the word, then it was not from God at all. Not that we should be overcome by doubt, hear me, when we hear that but that we should be aware that God will not and cannot go outside of his word. Which goes right into having that life of prayer. That life of prayer with God is our communication with him. If we don't pray, we can't communicate with him. It is also the way we abide in Christ. Now remember, it doesn't have to be a certain time of day or whatever unless you need to schedule that in. But it is a constant communication line with him. I have set out times myself that I, that I have aimed to have focused prayer. But I'm talking beyond that. I'm talking about the time when you're walking from wherever you work to your car. The space between that. I'm talking about those times when you're leaving a frustrating, frustrating conversation with someone. And you cry out to God saying, Lord, I need you to move in that situation. I'm giving that to you right now. Take over. I'm talking about those times. I've got this place at work. I've got this hallway at work that I walk every so often. And when I'm walking that hall, I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, your will be done. Lord, move on the hearts of your people here. I'm talking about this constant communication, the constant communication, this two-way street that never ends, that should never be broken. And truth be told, when we have that prayer life with him and we're talking with him and asking him to take over these things, it always turns out better than what we, when we don't let him handle that, when we try to handle that. On our own. In the same way that the branches abide on the vine, our life is rooted in the life of God through prayer. On the flip side, to be cut off from the vine starts with removing prayer. If one desires their life to be saturated with the flavor and preserving power of God's life in us, then we must be people of prayer. By living so intimately with the world, this ties right back into that worldliness. While we understand that Paul desired to become all things to all people, that he might bring people to Christ, that did not mean that he hid his distinctiveness as a Christ follower. He wasn't so overcome by that that he lost everything that God had for him. When one chooses the world's ways, one loses their saltiness. And I want to speak to the thought that says, well, what does it matter? I don't have much to offer anyway. Oftentimes I, I have these questions pop up in my spirit because I know there's people asking them. Are you hearing me? And I, and I want to ask the question to that saying, when was the last time God moved in your life? Who is it that is telling you that you don't have much to offer? And you see, church, it's what many refer to as a slow fade, that begins with one step away here and one step away there. And before you know it, you're nowhere where you thought you'd be. 
After all, it was just one step over here that I took away. It was just one small step over here that I decided to go off the path that he had for me. Yeah, you know, but, but there one finds themselves. How, how did I get here? Where do I go from here? You see, this intimacy with the world is followed closely by the remaining ways I mentioned, the lacking integrity, never talking about Jesus, thinking of our own, only of our own needs, and letting the other's interests overtake you. Disciples of Christ are called to be the image of Christ. They are called to resist sin and exhibit the fruit of God's Spirit. That fruit of the Spirit includes talking about Him, being a witness of Him, not only with the lives that we live, but also with our mouths in what we speak, those two things together. If we never open our mouths and talk about Jesus, then our speech will lack that grace-seasoned speech that Paul describes, which knows how to answer everyone. And if we are not the image of Christ, then, you guessed it, selfishness comes creeping in, where I'm no longer thinking of those, uh, the needs of those who are around me. Remember how Jesus, when asked which is the greatest commandment of the law, Jesus answered in Matthew 22 saying, uh, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In keeping that salt as it should be, we are aware of others' needs and reach out to those who are in need, both in the church and beyond. And right along with the importance of loving others is the love for God with all of who we are. In, in, in verse 37, if you can put that back up there, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Oh, church, there is no hobby there is no sports team, there is no food, there is no political allegiance, there is no cause, there is nothing more important than God. It's pretty quiet in here this morning. There is nothing more important than a relationship with Him. He must be your first love. He must be first in all things. He must be first in what you think, what you say, what you feel, what you desire, and ultimately what you do. May we do as Jesus says and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Because in delving into these things that deter us from God, we run the risk and danger of being cut off from our purpose and abandoning our relationship with the Lord altogether. I know this is some heavy stuff this morning. But church, if that's you and you find yourself losing this, it's only here at the altar through repentance and a turning back to God and his purpose for you that we become useful again. And not only is it important that we keep that salt where it's useful and effective, but we must also, we must remain the light. 
Paul describes those who are lost as blinded and having living in darkness in 2 Corinthians 4.4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. Paul then contrasted the believer with the unbeliever by using the terms darkness and light in Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 8, saying, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. If it weren't for his light shining through someone else into my darkness illuminating the way that I should go, I would not have the saving knowledge of the gospel. Hear me. You would not have the saving knowledge of the gospel. You see, in my experience, I was in the word, but I was in a very dark place in my life with nothing left to hold on to. Like, it, 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 was, it, it was this weird transition here where I was like going from one thing to another. I was, I was trying to get back on my feet again, but it wasn't until a born-again believer, a disciple of Christ, reached out to me to tell it like it is. There was no sugarcoating. I remember that conversation, Chris. I will never forget it. In other words, since you have that light, don't just hold it under a bushel, but open that up to others. Share that with others. And remember, Jesus tells us that although we are in the world, to what? Not be of the world. Oh, and it would be foolish that an individual who has seen the light would want to become like the world and once again be trapped in darkness. We as the church must function as the light of the world. We must function as the city set on a hill that cannot be hid. We must live our lives in such a way as to shine into the darkness all around us. Jesus revealed his purpose as the light of the world in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, saying, The Spirit of, Lord, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And since we, as the church, the body of Christ, fitly framed together, are to mirror the image of Christ, so we are to preach the gospel to the poor. So we are to bring healing to the brokenhearted. So we are to preach deliverance to the captives. So we are to pray for the blind to receive their sight. And it's all through Jesus Christ. You know, you see, these disciples which followed Jesus, they, they, they left everything behind them. And I'll talk about taking up your cross for a moment, but they left everything behind them and they chose to they said, this is our mission. This is what we're called to do. I don't have any other choice. I've got to keep following him because if I don't, I'm not walking in his will for my life. <sighs> when Jesus came to give sight to the blind, that was both in the literal sense and also the figurative. Not only does Jesus heal blind men and women, giving them physical sight, but Jesus also desired to give them spiritual sight to those walking in darkness. Picture yourself in a dark room in your house in the middle of the night. It's completely dark without any light whatsoever. You begin to move one way, 
and think you know where you are, only to kick something and stub your toe, which causes you to stumble. Preparing for another impact, you put your hands out in front of you because you become disillusioned to where you thought you were. You run into something else which then causes you to fall. Slowly standing up, you bump your head on something. At this point, you are feeling completely lost. Where am I? Am I even in the same room that I thought I was? Only to realize that once the light turned on, you weren't that far away. But rather, because of the absence of light, you weren't able to see those shoes that were left in the middle of the floor. Ultimately resulting in your confusion. Now, you can replace those shoes with Legos or whatever you want to call it, anything like that. It, it could be anything in my house. Thankfully, I have a wonderful wife who keeps our house spotless. So it normally doesn't happen, and it usually does because I leave something somewhere. Um, but anyways, um, so the same is true with those who have not seen the light. They stumble around in darkness, not knowing where they are, thinking that they are somewhere, but really they are somewhere else until finally the light coming on reveals the reality. Once that light shines, they can clearly see the exit across the room that they were in. And the same is true that only when the light shines do we see what lies in front of us. Do we see what needs to change? But church, there is something very important about this salt and light that we are called to be. What has to occur to both salt and the light in order for it to be effective? Are you ready? It needs to be scattered. It needs to be spread. You see, salt in a shaker is only useful when it is scattered on food. It does nothing to the taste of the food if it is kept in a cabinet or a spice rack. While it may contain all of the properties required for affecting the food served at the dinner table, unless that salt is scattered on the food, the food will be unchanged. Likewise, light is only effective if it's allowed to be scattered. You see, the scattering of light is very important in our daily lives. Almost all objects around us scatter light. The light that hits the objects around them, it illuminates them, and is reflected in all directions. You look around here, you see the lights that are, that are reflected off the walls here, and some of that light is reflected onto the floor. My glasses might be reflecting, my head might be reflecting some light, okay? I, I got to put that in there. I always got to make a joke about my, my baldness. <laughs> but... Um, some, some dense, now, on the flip side, some dense and non-reflective objects absorb light instead of scattering it. As believers and followers of Christ, we have been called to reflect that light and scatter it to those around us. We also know that the enemy, in his pursuit of destroying God's plan, has made decisions that I'm sure he's regretted. When he, couldn't, he, when he could not destroy Jesus, he set out to destroy the church. As persecution made its way into the early church, the believers were forced to scatter throughout the world in fear of their lives. This scattering of salt and light made sure the gospel reached people it may never have reached 
otherwise. You see, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned in to good. What the enemy meant for fear, God turned into triumph. You see, <laughs> the enemy, oh, hallelujah, I got to keep going. And once scattered, um, both salt and light bring change to the object they come into contact with. Always. Salt causes people to do what? Become thirsty. If you live according to God's word and God's ways, our lives will cause others around us to become thirsty for what we have. To become thirsty for Jesus and the truth promise in his word. You see, I talked about how the water dilutes salt, right? The, that water is, is worldliness. Now, that water is not what you want to dilute the salt. But when, when you feed people this salt, when you're being that salt and light, they become thirsty. Well, what are they becoming thirsty for? They're becoming thirsty for the living water, right? The living water that is the only one who can quench that thirst. And so with this, we should ask ourselves, what effect does my life have on those that I come, come into contact with on a daily basis? Are they developing a hunger for peace, joy, and new life because of my influence? Are they developing a hunger for Jesus through my life? And although we cannot force a person to give their lives to God, hear me, if we are truly salt of the earth and are living according to God's will, then our influence, our words, our actions should eventually lead someone to seek the Lord. And I'm not here to tell you that, whoa, everybody, everybody that you come into contact with is going to taste that salt and they're going to want more. Because I'm here to tell you that some people won't. Right? God wants all people to come to repentance, but I'm here to tell you that doesn't mean that everybody's going to come. To repent. We desire that too. But let me put it plain to you for a moment that that great falling away, if you will, are you with me? Jesus, help me. As the salt of the earth, the salt that we share will eventually drive someone to water. And we know that Jesus, again, is that living water. He is the one that will quench that thirst of all who come to him. And remember, we cannot benefit, be of benefit to the world if we live like the world. We as believers are to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to the world. Remember that darkness is merely the absence of light. That light is shown through you. The lost cannot see because they walk in darkness. Once the light of the gospel shines into their lives, they will be revealed the truth and will either embrace it or run in fear. Our purpose as light of the world is seen in the words of the Lord to Paul in Acts 26 where the Lord says, Deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom now I send you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of God power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. As salt of the earth, we have in us, because of the working power of the Holy Spirit, access to healing and deliverance for those bound in sin. As the light of the world, we must let our light 
of the gospel and the light of God's love shine into the dark and depressed areas of people's lives. We must show them there is hope. We must show them there is healing. We must show them there is a way out. We must show them a better way. Oh, we must call them from the depths of the darkest pits. Oh, we must show them that they can get through whatever their struggle they may be facing, whatever temptation they may be shaking, whatever mountain they may be climbing. We must show them. You see, when I pictured this, I pictured somebody. Bishop, come here for a second. I want you to stand right here in a dark place. You're in a dark place. You can't see anything. We are called to literally, hey, hey, let me show you the light. Come on, come on, come up here. I know you're struggling, but walk with me. Look, look, the light is greater. You've got to see it for yourself. I've experienced it. You can experience it too. Don't go back there again. Walk with me. We'll walk together. Don't leave them in darkness. Don't let them go back to the darkness. If you see them struggling, walk with them. Let them see the light. Thank you. It doesn't matter how deep and dark the pit is. If you're willing to reach, oh, come on, somebody. If you're willing to reach into that deep, dark pit and pull somebody out of the depths of darkness, they may or may not reach for you, but at least you're still reaching for them. Some of you have got some family that you've been reaching for. Some of you have got some friends that you've been reaching for. Some of you have got some coworkers that you've been reaching for. They're in those deep, dark pits, and you're still reaching for them. You're still praying, saying, Lord, I'm reaching. Lord, move on their hearts, oh God. Help them, oh God. Let them see the light. Let them see the light and let it shine through me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's up to the church, the body of Christ, to show the world the love of Jesus. If the church doesn't, then who will? Jesus commissioned his disciples, as we read in Matthew 28, 19, to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and in case you were questioning or wondering, that name is Jesus. If our calling and commission, if our calling and commission aligns us with Jesus' purpose and plan, then this call to share the good news with everyone must involve revealing this hope and healing to the hurting. Remember Jesus said that he came to give sight to the blind and to heal the brokenhearted. You know, and you've experienced this, that it is only through Jesus that we can experience it. It's only through Jesus that anyone can experience that true hope and healing. And since you've experienced it, let me tell somebody that there's no devil in hell that can take that away from you. As salt and light, this must be our mission. We must be intentional. And you see, church, being intentional is all-encompassing of not only that which we should press toward, but that, uh, that which is the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, but also what we should stay away from. The disciples of Jesus will lose their salt when they compromise the world and learn to love its ways. Instead of being that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that peculiar people, showing forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, instead of remaining faithful to Jesus and taking up their crosses and following him, the love of wealth, fame, luxury, or pleasure may lead to a loss of their salt all together. Whatever you do, don't put down that cross. Church, the world is continuing in its moral decay without the salt of the earth. 
And though we may not see the effect we have at times, let me tell you that the godly influence that you as a spirit-filled believer has helps hold that decay at bay. The world that we speak, excuse me, the words that we speak and the lives that we live have the power to keep the wickedness of the evil one from spreading to certain places. Remember what I said, what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning for good. You know, and, and again, I say, remember that darkness is merely the absence of light. So when you walk into the room with that light of Jesus, darkness has to flee. And I don't know if you heard me, but your family needs someone to be the salt and light. Your workplace needs someone to be that salt and light. Your community, this city, this state, this nation, this world needs someone to be that salt and light. With that, we must remain pure. With that, we must resist the pressures and the values of the world. With that, we must resist the temptations of the world. With that, we must flee from those things of the world. With that, we must illuminate and reveal Jesus Christ to everyone around. We must let the light so shine before all believers and do so by choosing to live our lives separate and biblically refusing to let worldliness dilute what we have, that savor and that light. And if you haven't faced it already or, or come to the realization, then understand that in the days ahead, the days to come and every day, we need more and more of Jesus than ever before. We need more disciples to rise up from within. We need disciples shining the light of Jesus. We need neighbors who are willing to reach out to a neighbor in need. We need coworkers who are willing to reach out to a coworker that may be struggling. In order for there to be more Jesus, it's got to flow through you. In order for there to be more Jesus, it's got to shine through you. Oh, church, wherever you go, with Jesus leading and guiding you, may you leave that place a little better than you found it. May you leave that place with a little more of his goodness and mercy than what was there before you arrived. May you leave more of Jesus in the place that you left than what was there before you got there. As a disciple commissioned by Christ, it is up to you to take that step to go. It is up to you to be that salt and light. And that is how it all begins, with one step followed by another. God is not asking you to jump from here, clear across the building, to someplace across the room, but to take you on a journey across the room as he leads you and guides you. I'm not saying that every place you're going to go, that you're going to literally turn the world upside down, although there may be some, but hear this. Turning the world upside down for the sake of the gospel begins, are you ready, with a single step. But if you can remember to leave that place a little better than you found it, then when the next born-again person who visits that place does the same, oh hallelujah, as you plant and another waters, what happens? God will get the increase. We may never see the person, we, we may never see the person we just scattered some light and some salt to on this side of heaven, but you never know, church. You just never know the impact that you are going to leave on someone. If you have the desire for God to move in your workplace, let me tell you that it starts with you. If you have the desire for God to bring a change into your home, let me tell you that it starts with you. If you have the desire for God to change your world, let me tell you, it starts with you. 
Oh, that, that, hallelujah, that there would rise up a desire in each of you today. Stand with me. That there would rise up a desire in each of you today to take that step, pressing forward through the crowds, walking with Jesus with every single step. Lift your hands all over this place. Go ahead and pray to him. Say, Lord, help me to be that salt and that light. Help me, oh God, if I need to, to put away those things that are not of you and keep my focus fixed on you, oh God. And as you pour into me, so I pour into others. I thank you, oh Lord. Lord, for every opportunity that I have to share your word, for every opportunity that I have to spread some of that salt, to spread some of that light to others. Oh God, help me at all times to be that salt and light to the world. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody say, amen. Amen. Thank you all for joining us for our first half. Come back in about 10 minutes uh, for the start of our second half. We've got about a 10-minute break here in Jesus' name.